0: Hello again, Helen Nguyen here, and welcome to Wellness Wednesday with 3W. Wellness Wednesday is sponsored by 3W Medical, a medical clinic that provides free reproductive healthcare services for women in the Seattle area. Today we will be discussing a pretty difficult topic that affects many of us, and that is suicide. And this is all in honor of National Suicide Prevention Week, which is September 6th to 12th. Joining us all the way from San Diego, California is my good friend, Ashley Hutchinson. Um, Ashley is a psychotherapist, clinical social worker, a graduate of the Loma Linda University of Behavioral Health. She is a wealth of knowledge, people. Ashley's treatment specialties include trauma, personality disorders, addictive compulsive behaviors, serious and persistent mental illness, working with combat veterans, first responders, and their families. Ashley is trained in psychodynamic orientations, cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, acceptance and commitment therapy, and motivational interviewing. She is so cool. (laughs) Um, She is a proud army wife, yes. And the recipient of the State of Texas Yellow Rose Esteem Award for women for her work with military families. Most importantly, Ashley is a mom to the most awesome six-year-old on the planet and I can attest to that because we're (laughs) gorgeous and smart Um, so thank you so much Ashley for joining us today and helping us understand this topic a bit more
1: yeah thank you for having me I'm so excited this is awesome yeah this is like
0: super fun for us right
1: (laughs) I know I think we need we just need our own podcast channel
0: I think so too So I thought of, of you immediately when I was made aware about the focus of this upcoming week. And yes. as you can tell, you know, you're just overqualified to talk about this topic and it, it saddens me that we have to bring so much awareness to this, such, such a prevalent topic in our country.
1: These yeah. Days. yeah um, that's unfortunate.
0: Yeah. But I, I, I've always admire how you always spoke so openly about your personal experience about losing loved ones to suicide. And so I just wanted to highlight you and put you on a platform for other people to know that they're not alone Mm -hmm. and that there's specialists like you who people can reach out to. So thank you so much for doing this. I really,
1: yeah, of course.
0: So on that top on, on that bit, a little bit, could you, could you just share a little bit with our listeners and our viewers how suicide has impacted your life and your family and your
1: friends and
0: in um, and your husband's life.
1: Yeah, no, I um, you know, I always tell people it's a, it's a very unique grief and 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 sense of loss that comes with suicide. unfortunately, the first time I experienced it, I was about 20 years old. One of my childhood friends had committed suicide, and it was devastating. It was the first time I'd ever dealt with that in my life, and less than two-ish years after that my aunt committed suicide and then unfortunately even sadder her son my cousin committed suicide just a few years after her so it's devastating it's it's something that nobody could ever prepare you for the complexities of the grief that comes along with suicide is just Mm -hmm. it's hard to describe and then One of my husband's really good friends that he served in the army with, he took his own life on Christmas Day three years ago. So it feels like every few years in the last 10, 15 years, we've lost somebody close to us to suicide. And for me, you know, having worked in a completely different career, career field before de- deciding to become a therapist and social worker. It was suicide that brought me to mental health and uh, wanting to become a psychotherapist. And I really, truly feel like it's my life's work to, one, try and help get people who are suicidal the help they need and two support the families, the survivors of suicide, because this will be something that will profoundly change their life forever. Yeah. Yeah. And I can just,
0: just every time you post something about on Facebook, I hope you know that like I read it and like, I totally see how this has impacted you in your life. And I can, I can feel the passion when you talk about it on your post and just really appreciate it. I've, I've learned so much about this topic. Thank you. No one, I appreciate
1: that. Just no one talks about it. Right. Nobody. And, and well, and the the sad part is that it's happening at, at, at this like alarming rate and it's happening rapidly, but we're still not having, I think, the national conversation we need to be having yeah. it's a lot more intense than what we're doing now currently. So I think that there's a lot of shame and embarrassment behind it for a lot of families. I refuse to be ashamed about it. I don't have anything to hide. You know, it's, um, if I can prevent just one person from harming themselves or comfort one family that's dealt with this sort of loss, then Mm -hmm. I feel like I've fulfilled my mission in life in a lot of different ways. So I'm very vocal about it for a reason. And it's because I hope that being vocal about suicide Helps impact people who are absolutely mortified and horrified to talk about it because a lot of people really are ashamed to talk about it. Oh yeah, there's so much stigma behind it. Oh, so 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 much, so much, and then family members reel in this process of, well, this looks bad on us because why didn't we see the warning signs? Why didn't we see this happening? Mm-hmm. It's my fault. I could have, should have done more. If only I had done more.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. How how do you think? COVID has added to this conversation with quarantining and the lockdown and all of this. How has that added to this issue from your point of view?
1: Good question. You know, it's such, such a hard topic to talk about, even more so with COVID, because, you know, people already feel, especially people with persistent mental illness, suicidal ideation, right, self harming behavior, they already feel isolated. They already feel alone. They already feel shunned by their families. They already feel desperate for connection and they're not getting it because of the lockdowns. And so, you know, it's great that we can do stuff like this over Zoom. Right. But that does not replace human connection. And I think it's very easy for humans to forget that we are mammals, we're animals. And part of one of the basic functions of being mammalian is needing connection to other human beings and our survival quite frankly depends on it so this feels like an ultimate attack the separation that we have right now the physical distance we have from one another feels like an attack on our on our well-being and that's where all the anxiety and the edginess and all of the intense emotional and mental stuff that's going on for a lot of people i think that's where that's coming from Do you see an increase of folks showing
0: signs of suicidal thoughts because of COVID and and an increase of symptoms coming from people that would maybe not have have had it if it
1: wasn't because of this lockdown situation? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the national research and data that's starting to come back on social and emotional topics in regard to COVID, a lot of what's coming back is there are actually many people who are experiencing really severe and persistent emotional dysregulation and suicidal thoughts and stuff like that sometimes for the for the first time ever so you know i think when you take when you take human connection away when you take somebody's ability to feed themselves away when you I personally have a lot of opinions on the title of being uh, an essential worker because I get called that and, and I'm uncomfortable with it because I think that if you make money and take care of yourself and your family, like we're all essential, every human is right. essential. And so for me, I get frustrated with that. But yeah, there, there's a lot of national research that's budding and developing on, on psychosocial stressors. Related specifically to COVID, and then I've also seen it myself in treatment. So, Mm -hmm. okay,
0: well, on that, could you share with us some of the most common signs and symptoms uh, we should look out for if we suspect someone in our family or community that could be dealing with suicidal thoughts? What should we be looking
1: for? Yeah, absolutely. I think that you know, some of the stuff that you really need to look for is like character changes extreme mood swings when people get really edgy or agitated easily when people start to tell you that they're a burden isolation disconnection anhedonia really like experiencing things that um through like a weaker lens where you no longer experience joy and happiness of the things that you used to enjoy oftentimes you'll also see like relief in people because they've almost come to terms with the fact that they're set in the ways of, of I'm just going to do this I'm going to be impulsive and I'm going to end my life and so if you see like a drastic change from kind of those lows to an increased maybe um, affect like mood or emotions and and they just kind of seem more upbeat all of a sudden interestingly enough that can also be an unlooked for sign wow. of suicide. So a lot of people miss that. In teens, especially, what you'll see with teens is if they tell you they're suicidal, you have to take them on their word because teenagers are the most impulsive and the most likely to hurt themselves. So, you know, if you're looking at teens and you're looking at adults, there's a whole myriad, a whole like host of different signs you could be looking for and that you could potentially miss. The other thing that puts you interestingly enough, into a higher risk category is a family history of suicide. So you are more likely you're at higher odds of completing suicide if you have a direct family member who has attempted or has committed suicide. So suicidality, contagion of suicidality, we see it in social circles with teenagers in schools across the United States where one child will take their life and then it'll fall like a domino effect where their friends start to and their classmates start to, and it's it's horrifying to to see a lot of times too, you know you and I are about the same age, so I think that a lot of us remember the the Columbine era, and most people think of the suicidal Teen as kind of the Dylan Klebolds of the world—the the guys who wear trench coats to school and and listen to goth music—and and that couldn't be further from the truth, right? Because a lot of the suicides we're starting to see, especially in young adults and in teens, are the overachievers. Yeah, the straight A students, the football team, like quarterback, the cheerleaders, right? The the student body president—like it's happening way more than we're willing to admit, unfortunately.
0: And with people we never would expect to, to have those types of thoughts or inklings. Yep. So, well, that, that's a great segue into my next question is, I sent you that article recently, yeah. and that highlights new statistics concerning female youth age 10 to 14 experiencing an increase in suicidal rates compared to other age groups the connection that this article was making is to social media and cultural influences, mm-hmm. um, horrifying suicide. So like that show, what, what it was like 13 reasons why oh, yeah, I
1: don't even watch it. I can't, I, yeah, I, I, can. I
0: just refuse to watch that negativity. There's too much negative stuff going on. I don't need to watch a show. about
1: yeah, it. No, no. And, and a lot of people who defend that sort of stuff will say, Oh, it's not glorifying. You've never watched the show. And I said, no, nah, I I've seen enough of it to understand what I'm watching and I'm, yeah, I'm how, good. I don't need to watch it on TV.
0: Yeah. How, how would you respond to that stat? Do you, do you think that's like what you're, what you're seeing in, in what you do and, and your research or is, is that, is that off? Like females are more likely or not likely to have a higher suicide rate based on, you know, all these cultural influences and in social media. How has that played into that conversation?
1: Well, I, I would say that there's definitely a more public public focus on young girls especially because it's how do i say this i don't know that it's necessarily more girls at harm for suicide i think that it's more along the lines of that there's almost like this cultural acceptance behind men ending their lives because it almost goes back to this historical honor kind of thing like I'm no longer any use to my family I'm a burden and so I almost think and and don't quote me on this but this is just my opinion I really think that there's like a historical gender bias towards being acceptable for men to do this whereas women are just if they do it they they're selfish because they're abandoning their kids or their families or their husbands and so I think I really think that it comes down to really unfair gender role kind of expectations. The other thing that I definitely see, especially in younger women, is this very unattainable standard that is kind of put out there to be perfect, right? To do it all, to have the education, to have the career, to be the working mom, to have the perfect body, to, you know, be the has- hashtag. Billionaire by twenty, like Kylie Jenner, like this is what the Gen Z kids are dealing with, and I, uh, I'm an older millennial, right? I, I kind of straddle that what they call Xennial generation <laughs> phase, right? Like I, I'm not old enough to be an Xer, but I'm like the older tier of being a millennial, right. and we didn't get pelted with social media and bombarded by that stuff the way that the Gen Z kids are. Like, they were literally born with iPhones in their hands. I didn't get my first cell phone until I was 18. Yes, and my kids didn't 18. come out until I was in college. So I didn't have to worry about, will some guy put my nudes online? Will, will somebody threaten me and take screenshots of the text messages I sent them? Like These aren't things that you and I had to deal with. And it's really unfortunate and sad that kids today are having to deal with these very adult dilemmas at far too young of an age yeah and and it's how- child ab- it's child abuse in so many ways it's it's child abuse, you know especially when you're talking about the transmission of things electronically that kids are not mature enough oh yeah. to to deal with so for many of them, I think they probably feel like that's their only way out from the social pain and it's sad it's really yeah. sad you relinquish
0: so much. Responsibility when you give an adolescent person a phone, because oh, yeah. you can put as many parental apps on it as possible. But there's hacks now. There's, I mean, their friends could send them something. I mean, there's every uh, everything under the sun that they're oh, to be
1: exposed. These kids are so smart. They are incredibly smart, and because they've had electronic devices in their hands since they were born, it's really not that hard for them to figure out loopholes around nanny and other stuff like that it's just it comes to a point where all you can do is really parent them to the best of our abilities to love them to give them the care that we need let them know and understand that these are really adult things like having access to a laptop having access to a phone and I think one of the biggest fears parents have is taking that stuff away when they need to and the parents often Right. You're the parent. You're not their friend. So a lot of the parents that I work with in parenting groups, I, I tell them, like, I get it. Your kid's going to be hostile and agitated and mad, and they're probably going to shout, scream, and yell, but at the end of the day, you're not their friend. Yeah. You're paying for the phone. Yes. You get to take it. It's okay. It's you your mission. It's literally <laughs> yours. So, you know, and, and a lot of times what I'm actually seeing too is like, I've read stories and, and of really brave teenagers coming up and saying like, Hey, I'm going to my best friend's mom because Bobby sent me a suicidal text last night. And it's because of other kids who care so much. They're prepared for it. They're mm-hmm. the ones that are actually sounding the alarm and saying, Hey, I think, I think he might actually hurt himself. I think she may actually hurt herself, and I'm really concerned. So it's, it's really awesome to also see how, while in a lot of ways, the Gen Z kids have had to grow up a little too fast, as far as I'm concerned, they've also got a pretty good head on their shoulders. And I think a lot of older folks are easy to kind of, um, dismiss negate the passion or dismiss right a younger generation but it's really cool to kind of see how passionate a lot of the gen c kids are too to get mental health care it's not weird for them it's not something you, sh- you you're quiet about they talk about it they're open about it And it's really nice to see a younger generation care
0: yeah yeah i think even when people are healthy they should talk to a therapist just to make sure that they're on the right path or something like that like I'm such a huge like believer in maintenance, right? Mm-hmm. How how do you know that you're gone astray or something like that? So having accountability and checking in sometimes with someone that you respect and trust is not a bad thing.
1: No, not at all. And in fact, you know, I think we did a really terrible job in healthcare for a long time. Siloing physical health care and mental health care and we're getting to a place now where we're we're starting to integrate both right physical and mental and emotional health care because you really have to look at the human as a whole kind of person right you can't separate your mind from your body and what we know now from the decades of research we've been doing about how the mind impacts the body is that manifestation of anxiety trauma stress it will manifest in physical ways and there's a huge connection to trauma and anxiety and stress to things like fibromyalgia uncontrolled Mm -hmm. blood sugar and diabetics Heart disease. I mean, we could go on and on and on about how the mind and the body work in unison, but I think just based on that stigma, it was really always just, oh, we'll put psychiatric care over here and shh don't talk about it if you have to go see the therapist or the psychiatrist. Yeah.
0: It's it's especially in the Asian community, it's just not even talked about because you're just you're soft, you're not strong enough to deal with these these pressures. It's a whole nother taboo topic that at least in the Vietnamese community, we just won't even touch. And I've seen a shift in that with the younger generation, but we still have a long ways to go. Um, yeah,
1: it's it, it's always really for me. It's it's inspiring to see communities of color kind of step up and and immigrant communities and their their children, right, that are stepping up and saying, "No, yeah. we want we want different for our family." And and yeah. we. We, we want to engage in this form of healthcare. So, you know, I really truly think that the Gen Z kids are going to be the kids that, that make a difference in that realm. And they're going to be the ones that normalize receiving mental or psychiatric healthcare. Well, that's so, that's a, that's a hopeful thing. Yeah. indeed. Um, yeah. So what are some
0: resources you were, would recommend to our viewers and listeners who would like to learn more about suicide or signs of suicide to better help their community.
1: Ooh, I have so many. Can I can I put my glasses back on and give you yes. my? I wrote like a whole list of stuff out. I'm blind as a bat, but like I don't need my glasses as much as I do for uh, oh. reading stuff. But could you pick your top three and then I'm
0: gonna list everything on our webpage.
1: Yeah. So my top three. I would go with the American foundation for suicide prevention. I've been doing their San Diego area walk. You know, I'm in the burbs between Riverside County and San Diego County. Yeah. Uh, and I've been doing their walk. They're out of the darkness walk now for almost a decade and they have chapters all over the country. So even in Seattle, if you look them up, you'll find them and they do such amazing work. I mean, the, the fundraising that they do Ends up helping with like lobbying and legislation and health data collection on suicide and suicide prevention. So I have a very soft spot in my heart for AFSP. Uh, they've been there a lot for me over the years, and I love their work. I would also say like the Trevor Project. The Trevor Project is amazing. They work with LGBTQ youth who are suicidal, and they have a twenty four seven hotline that that's a crisis hotline that you can call, and they've saved numerous young lives. And so their work is really special. They're from Los Angeles. So that's my hometown. And it's really nice to see an organization like that do such cool things. And then I also really love like military specific organizations, because as we know, the rates of suicide in the military community are just, it's abysmal. It's off the chart. So I really love given They're out of the Maryland, Virginia area. And they are so cool, because they recruit Therapists to give their time pro bono to the veteran and their family members. So, yeah, it's super cool. You pay nothing as a vet or a dependent family member. And Given Hour is really unique because a lot of times we find that people feel too proud to ask for charitable help. But if you go to givenhour.org, their website, and you look at their database, you type in your zip code, and it's kind of like looking up a provider on your insurance company. So it doesn't always feel like, oh, I'm, I'm like this charity case. People get to go and they feel empowered because you're getting the same quality care you'd be getting for if you were paying a therapist or psychiatrist, but you're getting it for no cost because these providers have a place in their heart for military families. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. That's super great, cool. Yeah. That's yeah, really really cool. Great.
0: Well, um, wow, that, that was... I'm so grateful for you. Thank you. Thank you so much for helping me navigate through this tough topic. There's so much more we could cover, right? We've only scratched the topic. Oh, yeah. But I'm super grateful for this opportunity to just shine a light on how we can do better, how we as a community can help someone, ourselves or people we love, not make this much more of a statistic in our in yeah. our. So, so Ashley, what is one thing you would like to leave our listeners today and and our audience today? What's one thing you want to get
1: across to them? If you're watching this and you need help and you really think that you might be in danger of harming yourself, you have to call 911 or get to your closest emergency room. You can also call the National Suicide Crisis Hotline and their phone number. I will give that to you right now. Their phone number is 1-800-273-8255. And the last thing I would want anybody to know that's watching this that might be suicidal is to understand that suicidal ideation is probably far more common than we realize. And at some point, many people have had those thoughts and you're not alone. And the world would not be better off without you. And if I'm the only person you ever hear that from. Listen to my voice because the world would be way worse off without you. Take my word for this. Yeah, we're so loved. We're so loved. Yeah.
0: Well, I hate to end this podcast, but our time has ran out. So we're going to have Ashley back. Don't worry, folks. <laughs> um, but at 3W, we provide free reproductive health services and we talk about these issues with our patients. This is not a foreign issue. Even though we're not experts in it, like Ashley, we know where to provide you with the resources or provide you with a counselor or a therapist that can get you through this. So we're always looking for, um, if you like what you're hearing as a community, we're always looking for community-minded people to join us. Our commitment to helping 3W survive and thrive and keep our doors open is if you would like to join us, our commitment is just $10 a month. For 12 months, it will help assure that every woman in the Seattle area has free access to quality health care from a nonprofit medical clinic that does not make money from the choices women make. We call this our 10 for 12 club. So please visit our website. You can find more about what Ashley is talking about on our website, and that's 3wmedical.org. That's number three, letter W, medical.org click on that podcast tab and just learn more about the resources she's going to be sharing with you and with the community. And so until next time, stay healthy and be well. And thank you so much, Ashley.
1: Thank you. You're the best. Thank you for having me, Helen. (laughs) Love you. We'll have you back. Don't worry.
0: You're not going anywhere.
1: (laughs) Anytime. Anytime. All All right. Thank you so much. You're welcome.